Now, I wrote this message a year and a half ago, and I had no idea, but when I was a kid, my dad used to use this phrase. He would usually be smiling when he said it, but he would say, Joe, you need to learn to be useful, not just ornamental. I didn't really know what ornamental meant, but I didn't figure I was very ornamental, and he knew I wasn't useful. My dad went to be with the Lord two weeks ago, and uh, he's in good shape today. Thank you for, for all of your prayers. But I wrote this a year and a half ago. That's because I'm usually working that far ahead on my messages. And here I am today uh, preaching this message, be useful, not just ornamental. So, Dad, this one's for you. So we're, we're, uh, we're in Acts 13, and in Acts 12, we finished up last week with the chapter where Herod Antipas uh, <clears throat> takes credit for being God, and God strikes him down in the middle of an arena there in Caesarea, and he's eaten with maggots, a verse that I suggested you clip out, put on your fridge for your children to read uh, on a regular basis. Then in the beginning of chapter 13, it goes right from that story to the church going into full mobilization. Jesus told them to go into all the world, but we haven't seen it yet. Now they go into full mobilization. And they begin, they set aside Paul and Barnabas. They're going to send them out. They're going to be in Lebanon and they're going to be in Syria and they're going to be in Turkey. <clears throat> and then before the decades out, we're going to be planting churches in India, in Egypt, in North Africa, in Spain. The gospel is going to go all across the world in that first, first hundred years. And it's all done on foot or donkey. It's crazy, isn't it? We're like, well, this is impossible to get the gospel to the whole world. <clears throat> yeah, they walked there and did it. So the gospel, the gospel message is being loaded up right here in chapter 13. Now, before we dive into that, I have to say, a few of you have noticed um, that I've gained a few pounds. And, and I want to thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> but if truth be told... Jim, I've had a lot on my plate lately. Did they put that up there? By golly, they did. They did. Feel free to use that one as you need. All right, one more. So I'm out, I'm, I really am in Kentucky a couple weeks ago, and, and I go out to a place called Carter Caves. Anybody been out to Carter Caves? Beautiful, all kinds of caves, beautiful hiking trails. And I've been in cave systems all over the world. And, and I went in and I thought, well, I just want to learn. Well, there's an 18-year-old kid behind the counter. I'm guessing he got a summer job and it was day two. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go up and say, so I said, well, tell me about, you know, tell me about these caves. And he says, well, you want to know about the ones we found or the ones we haven't? Now, rarely, rarely am I speechless. <clears throat> I looked at him and I said, go ahead. So he went on, he told me a couple stories, and then he said, however, the most important cave we have in this whole cave system is the one that in 1812, they were mining saltpeter out of it. Saltpeter is what they used to make gunpowder. And he said, they were mining there in 1812 so that we were able to win the Revolutionary War. And I'm thinking to myself, well, no wonder we had such a hard time with the British. The gunpowder was 36 years late getting there. 
I didn't say anything in my head. I'm thinking you could have been useful, not just ornamental, but I didn't. I didn't say that to him. In Acts 13, the challenge really comes down to the church to be useful. Too many Christians are content to be ornamental. What I mean by that, it's word only. I am just, uh, if you ask me, I'm a Christian, but you're really just a Christian in name only. Don't go to church, don't serve, don't give, aren't involved, uh, not in a Bible study. But if you ask me, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Hindu, I'm not an atheist, so I'm a Christian. The whole point of Acts 13 is that we have to become useful for the kingdom of God. Now let me tell you what happens. In a culture where you and I are told that we're just products of chance, products of slime, lightning hit us and we became humans, there's no hope in that. You want to know why the drug epidemic's out of control? You want to know why murder's out of control? You want to know why a crazy guy will go into a school and kill grade school children? Listen, that stuff didn't happen decades ago. We had all the same guns. We had all the same weapons. But you didn't do that because we had a godly Christian worldview and we know longer hold that. And I've been telling you for a long time that even in the churches, we've lost the biblical worldview. Now I have proof. I have George Barna's newest study. I know what it says. George Barna did a study of pastors across America. Came out last week. 40% of senior pastors believe in the Bible. Youth pastors, 25%. Teaching pastors, all right, now think about that. That's the second guy that's representing the pastor. The teaching pastor, 13%. The executive pastor, that'd be Pastor Cord, 4%. So in the church of Jesus across America, you're lucky if you have one person on your staff that believes the Bible. That believes the worldview of the Bible. Well, what are they teaching? Oh, they're still reading the Bible. And let me tell you the the buzzword, okay? It's going to sound harsh, but I'm going to tell you what it is. (coughs) It's the word love. You'll hear them say, Jesus just loves... And they really emphasize it. He loves everybody, period. Well, it's funny. When I read the story of Noah's flood, it seems like there's some people got left out. When I read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it seems like there's some people that got left out. When Jesus tells the story about the narrow road and the wide road that leads to hell, it would seem like there's some people that are going to get left out. Does that make sense to you? So they'll use the Bible as a cover, but they don't believe it. And that's why we have this crazy teachings in churches about homosexuality is okay, transgenderism is okay. There's a, there's a church that brought in a drag queen to perform for their youth group. The Evangelical Lutheran Church, I won't call out the pastor's name, it's a denomination. The Evangelical Lutheran Church, as an organization, are pro-abortion. And we wonder why we're in such a mess. Today the word church doesn't mean much. The word pastor doesn't mean much to me anymore. There's a lot more questions that have to be answered. <clears throat> but if we're going to be biblical Christians, it's, it's shame that I have to, put that, have to put that on there. But biblical 
Christians, following the Word of God. That means when I read the book, I go, whoops, got to stop that. Whoops, got to start that. That's what biblical Christianity is. And when the preacher preaches, if you don't get your feelings hurt, then he didn't do his job. All right, so I'm not here to make you happy. I'm doing my best to make us all holy. All right, that's the objective. All right, I think I think that's just under tirade on my notes. Now, now let's let's get to the let's get to the text. Acts 13. We're going to just look at a couple of verses, then we'll jump. Please stand. Word of God. Respect. So Barnabas and Saul go to some Jewish people in a synagogue, and they begin to teach them. In the pinnacle of their story is about David, who they worship so to speak. So, for when David, this is Paul speaking, for when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first, speaking to the Jews. Since you rejected it, listen to this phrase, and you do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. That word, that word Gentile is the word ethnos. Right? Why it's translated Gentiles, I really don't know. But literally it means, since you Jews don't want to hear about eternal life, we will take it to the ethnic people. That would be all the rest of us in the world. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet in protest, and they went on to Iconium. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You can be seated. All right, so let's break this thing down. The first thing we're told to do to be useful is to do our job. Where does that come from? Well, so Paul, if you look at chapter 13, Paul takes him through a history of Israel. This is very similar to what Stephen does in Acts 6. He gives the Jewish people a Jewish history lesson, right? They all know this, but he gives them to him anyway. He takes them through the history of Israel and he leads them up to David, who is the pinnacle in their minds. Because David is the one that conquered Goliath and helped them overcome the Philistines. David is the one that united the the nation of Israel into one monster organization and had a peaceful 40-year reign after he had conquered all of the enemies. Now, David, when I think about him, David committed adultery. David had a man killed. David had eight wives. Look it up. David made a lot of mistakes. And when you get to the book of Acts, 
God says, David was a man after my own heart. What am I missing here? Oh, you're not missing anything. Here's what you ought to see. That in spite of your sin and my sin, regardless of what we have done wrong in the past, the criminal mistakes we've made, the moral mistakes we've made, we, we have a God that says we can turn that whole story around. And that's what David did. And David became a man who followed after God's own heart, even when there had been a high price to be paid in his own life. But the Jewish people then and the Jewish people today still revere King David. And they should. David was an incredible man. An incredible warrior. An incredible leader. But this is 3,000 years ago. And then he points out, but the problem is, David died. So David wasn't the Messiah. And he points out, as if we need this, that David rotted in the ground. The word there in, in Greek is putrefied, if you'd like that word. His body became putrid. However, Jesus, who is in the line of David, he died, but God raised him from the dead. There's the turn right there. And this is where the people in the synagogue can't handle it. And they're like, no, we don't want to hear any more of this. And he says, so you all have decided you're not worthy of eternal life. Look, some of you here today may be in that spot. <clears throat> you're thinking, I'm not worthy to be saved. I'm not worthy to go to heaven. Well, the truth is, you're right. None of us are worthy to go to heaven. Jesus paying the price on the cross. Jesus shedding his blood and then him resurrecting from the dead proves that he was God and that he was qualified to take away our sins. So if you've not accepted Jesus yet, Palm Bay, the land, online, here in this room, <clears throat> before you go home, you come up front or you hit that button, I've decided, and you say, I want a part of this. I want to be saved. Because you can sit there and think I'm... I'm too good or I'm not good enough or whatever you want. But either way, you go out of here not saved. But there's another part I want you to get. Because I've had that, those two verses, 36 and 37, underlined in my Bible for probably the last 15 years. And every time I go back to that section, it pops out because I highlighted it in green. And it pops out at me. Because when David had finished everything that God had him to do in his generation, he died. Let me ask you a question. What is it that God has for you to do in your generation? See, I, God's never asked me to take down Goliath. That was a one-time gig. Now, I know there's books and sermons. Who's your Goliath? No, there was only one. I get the idea, but there was only one. <clears throat> Only one guy built a boat. That was Noah's job. All right? Samson. <clears throat> Samson had his jobs to do. I don't know. But what job has God given you? Are you to be teaching children? Are you to be coaching teenagers? Are you to be serving in the food pantry? Are, are you a giver? Are you a prayer? <clears throat> are you several of those things? What is it that God's called you to do? Because you're never going to find fulfillment... Until you say, you know what, I want to do everything that God has given me to do in my generation. And then when my time comes, then I'll be ready to die. 
So the question is, where are you? Where am I? <clears throat> are we doing what God has set up for each one of us to do? And only you can answer that. I don't know what God's called you to do. I tell you, <clears throat> there were friends of mine in Jacksonville. And the first time I'd ever seen this. But I met people who I really believed their spiritual gift was to make money. Mine is to not make money. Okay? But these guys, it didn't matter what they did. They'd go out to eat and make $100,000. And I'm like, what am I missing? How, you know, why don't I have this happen? But I watched these men just give and give. And I watched them change lives. I watched them change eternity because of the resources that God ran through their hands. It was a gift. Whether you have a gift of resources, you have the gift of time, you have the gift of teaching, the gift of leading. David fulfilled his part. <clears throat> have you fulfilled yours yet? Right now is the time for us to be working on that. We have a ship up here. This is a good story. This is, uh, I have to read it. This is the RMS Burr in Garia. <coughs> it's an English ship. And um, <clears throat> this ship sailed in 1929. Does anybody know why this ship is famous? I didn't think so. Okay. When they got on the ship in, in England, the ship was full of multi, multi, multi-millionaires. On their way across Atlantic, about a 10-day crossing, I guess, halfway across, it was October of 29, and the stock market crashed. And everybody on that ship was heavily over-leveraged. And by the time they pulled into the port in New York, none of those millionaires had a penny to their name. It was all gone. And you know sort of the rest of the story of what happened after that. But I got to thinking about how many people in this world, especially my American friends, my Western friends, we have so much. And I think somehow we think, well, I'm going to load that on a boat. I'm going to load up my cars and my boat and my jet skis and a couple of houses and, and, my, and my 401k. I'm going to load all that up on the boat and take it with me into eternity. But when you get to the other side, none of that stuff is going to be worth anything. It's not worth something. It'll be worth nothing. And that's the problem. There's so many people that have material things, but inside they're empty. Do you know the story of Centralia, Pennsylvania? We got a picture. <clears throat> Centralia, Pennsylvania was a booming town, I think back in the 50s. And somebody lit a fire... And the fire went underground and it hit a coal seam. And they've thrown millions and millions of dollars at this fire trying to, to put it out. And they can't. It's been burning for like 70 years. And they estimate it may burn for a few hundred thousand years. That's how much coal's under the city. <clears throat> so nobody lives in the city. They had to relocate the entire population of the city. <clears throat> now here's the problem. You can, uh, <clears throat> we can look really good up here, but underneath, something can be very bad, very dark, very broken, very sinful. And that's why Jesus came, is to help you to find purpose and meaning and forgiveness and hope 
and all those words that our culture seems to be living without. Oh, the outside, man, we can put on the show. We've got the car. We've got the clothes. We've got the restaurants we go to. But at night, when we go to bed, it's that person inside of us. It's the person underneath. That's who we go to bed with. Then we have the second part of this. And that is that they, the, the, when the Jewish people rejected the message, they take the message to the ethnic people. And the ethnic people can't believe it. They thought this Jesus was just for the Jewish people. And so they respond with joy, excitement, passion. All those words are used. And it says they honored the word of God. Do you see that? I believe it's used twice. Take a look. Highlight it. Circle it. I did in my Bible. They honored the word of God. That's what we're missing in our culture today. And again, I expect our society to be missing it, but it's heartbreaking when the church misses it. When the church doesn't want to talk about the hard facts that are in Scripture. We just want to talk about love and have a nice little club. No, we are called to repent and it's an honor to be saved. It's an honor that Jesus' blood covers me and I get to accept him. And they were full of joy at this opportunity that they had. I like what Tom Brady said. You know, Tom, bless his heart, it, you know, his millions and his rings. And, but nobody takes more garbage than Tom Brady. People are always shooting at him. And Tom has some of the greatest advice. He says, turn out, tune out everything the world is saying because nothing they say matters. Now, there's some of the best leadership advice you can ever get. When you know what the Word says and you know what God says and you know what the Lord wants you to do with your life, you tune out everything else because it doesn't matter and you focus on what God has for you. And <clears throat> Luke, Luke chapter 1, this is about Jesus' birth. It says, he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice at his birth. A normal reaction to being saved is joy. A normal reaction of being a Christian is being full of energy and passion and joy, going out and serving others, helping others, and helping everybody else find the joy that you found. Doesn't that make sense? And then at the end, I love this. So then, persecution comes. <clears throat> Jewish people reject. The ethnic people are like, man, this is great. Well, then some women get together and see if they can't stir up a mob and run them out of town. And this is where it really starts. This is where they go, you know what? Fine, we'll take it to the world. They're off to Turkey. They're going to head across the Med. They're going to go out to India. And from here on out, the church is going to blow up the way God intended for it to be. They went for global spread. They said, we're going to take this story of Jesus all over the world. A good friend of mine, Greg Johnson, is a, a pastor in Iowa. One of the fastest growing churches in all of America right now is in Iowa. Give that some thought. And it's crazy. He said, we have one mission. It is to make Jesus' name great, both near and far. Man, I love that. 
Uh, and they're doing it. They're doing it. Now let me tell you Tomoka's story. Some of you are brand new. You don't know Tomoka's story. About 30 years ago, we decided that Jesus' words were meant to be taken seriously. He said, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them, teach them some more, and then send them out to make more disciples. So we made a commitment to plant a church in every state in the United States. That wasn't hard. We got that done pretty quickly. And we made a, made a commitment to plant a church in every country in the world. And I remember being laughed at. People would laugh at us. They said, how you doing on that, Joe? And we'd be like, well, we got six. You know, we got ten. <clears throat> About five years ago, we finished that. And uh, we're continuing to plant churches. But we have a church now. We have multiple churches in every church in the world. Because isn't that what Jesus said? Go into all the world. He didn't say, Tomoka, <clears throat> you guys take the Dominican Republic in Boston. He said, no, go into all the world. <clears throat> so that was, that was our attempt. And there's a story about a little boy this last week, and I didn't get his picture, and I'm sorry. But on his fourth birthday, he received a new heart. Now, we know that's tra- tragic because we, that means somebody else lost their life. But this little boy got a new heart, and he got a chance now to live a brand new life. Do you know that's the imagery that God gives us? The imagery that he gives us that you and I need a brand new heart that Jesus takes away our heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh. All right?